Hello there and welcome to Fill Me Up. I'm Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your film discussions. Now this week, ooh, it's a hard one. Um, I am currently sitting in just some shorts at the moment, so currently shirtless. So for those of you that don't know me, that is a sight to behold for numerous reasons. But um, yeah, it's just been really hot out there, hasn't it? I don't know what's happened. I don't know whether it's like this all over the world. I bet there's people in Australia just like, yeah, this is just what what it's normally like. It's normally like 28 degrees, 30 degrees. Just deal with it. But we don't, we don't, we can't deal with it. We're British. Anything above or below, slightly above or slightly below, uh, lukewarm, can't deal with it. So, um, yeah, everyone's struggling. We don't, and we don't have a, a air conditioning really. Which is a, which is probably the biggest issue. So you just melt in your house. Everyone, if you go around everywhere and it just smells like chicken because everybody is cooking. Um, but let's get on to some actual film stuff because that's what you're here for, isn't it? And the big thing for me this week is that Tron Three is going ahead. Um, for those for the long time listeners, um, you will be aware that I did a an episode on the Tron films, the current Tron films, one and two. Um, I did that sometime last year. And, um, and I mentioned about Tron 3, and I really liked Tron 2, and I really wanted a Tron 3. So I'm looking forward to this. It's uh, It's got Jared Leto in it, but it could still be good. I mean, I don't know. Good on him. I don't, he, he does things. Um, but yeah, it's got a guy called Garth Davis directing who made Lion in 2016 and Lion won Best Picture at the Oscars. So this guy is pretty good at films, it seems. Um, he also, it seems like a bit of a weird choice because Lion is a drama and I think he's only done like another couple of dramas or something. But so this is the first time he's done something kind of like this. Um, but he apparently aggressively pursued it. So he... He seems to be a big fan of this series and so wants to do it. So, good on him. Um, it's called Tron Ares. I don't know what that means. Who knows what that means? It probably might not even be called that in the end. But that's apparently what it's called. Um, but the thing that will almost make or break this film is if they get Daft Punk back to do the soundtrack. I don't know why they wouldn't. The first one, the first, uh, the first time they did it was Ace. Um, I think they should also get back Garrett Hedlund and Olivia Wilde. And they should get Killian Murphy back from there because he's now a bigger, a bigger, a bigger name, and he will be able to be a bigger villain and have a bigger role. And I think that would be swell. So I think that's what they should do, and I think they might do it. Uh, but I, in whatever way, shape, or form it comes in, maybe if it comes just to Disney Plus, who knows? I will look forward to seeing it. <laughs> first big section of the show is of course alpha set for those that are maybe maybe it's first time listening and i thank you very much if it is um alpha set is the section of the show where i take three films that i have not seen before and they all begin with the same letter of the alphabet this week we are on set n um and if you follow me on twitter at all out walker then you will have seen on monday um what films i'm studying it's not really studying what films i'm watching 
and looking at. Um, and you might have been able to watch them as well. Um, there's no need to. If you if you do if you don't want to, then that's absolutely fine because I will not spoil a thing. I'm trying to do non spoiler thing. Um, and just trying to just trying to give you a, a bit of a bit of a picture of uh, what it's like. So the first film that we looked at that I looked at this week is Natural Born Killers. Um, and that is the bizarre tale of unhinged serial killers Mickey and Mallory Knox as they butcher their way uh, across the country, gaining media popularity the whole time, the country obviously being America. Um, came out in 1994, which is possibly the oldest film on that I've done. Um, it has a... Oh, no, Goodfellas. I did Goodfellas. And that was 990. Uh, it had a $34 million budget and it made $50 million. So it lost some money and I think it deserves to lose money. And you will see why in a minute. Uh, let's look at some reviews. The reviews are 7.3 on IMDb. I don't know how it's got that looking at the reviews that were on there. 46% on Rotten Tomato. So more didn't like it than it did. And I give it a 3 out of 10, which is the lowest rating I've ever given for an Alpha Set film. It's just a relentless barrage on the senses. It's just awful. It was. It's one of those films that I knew was kind of divisive going into it, but I thought it was like con- there was controversy around it because it was too violent. But I, that maybe it was at the time, but I don't think that's an issue nowadays. And that's not my issue with it. It's oh, it's just so it's supposed to be like a satire on like people's interest in kind of true crime and serial killers and stuff but it's as subtle as a sledgehammer it just hits you over the head with it constantly um and it's got this weird everything's just shot very weirdly it's it's supposed to be like stylistically but it's like you've taken acid like it flicks from black to black and white to color to like old filmy thing there's camera angles that are like off like physically like you've tilted the camera like multiple times there's multiple like close-ups and things where like and shaky cam and things that make it disorientate you and i don't know it's just very weirdly shot like whenever you're in like there's a lot of scenes where they're like indoors and they'll have like it's almost if it's like projected onto the back wall or something like stuff that's on a tv or just random images and i'm like is there supposed to be some like deeper meaning to this? I, I'm imagining that there is, but this isn't the film that that suggests deeper meaning. This isn't a film that you th- that I don't know. It just doesn't seem like that's the tone that they're going for. The tone seems to be: isn't this a stupid film? Isn't this a stupid concept? Because all the actors, I mean, I, I, they probably did the the job that was in the script, but everyone hams they've turned the ham meter up to 10 like oh it's just it's like it's a pantomime it's absolutely ridiculous and yeah i mean the violence that's in it people are saying it's over the top and maybe it's unnecessary okay maybe it's unnecessary but i wouldn't say it's necessarily over the top there's nothing too bad about it i don't think um it's just oh it's just awful it's just the thing the lowest rated film i had up to now was goodfellas and that was long and boring, but at least there was sort of like an A, like they were going places. There was like a bit of a plot and a bit of a through story. It's just, it was a boring one. Whereas this one doesn't seem to be any plot or anything. They just sort of like go throughout it. Um, they get caught at one point. I'm, 
I mean, yeah, they, they go throughout it. There's a a show on there that is presented, one of these sort of like true crime sort of shows, and its host is Robert Downey Jr., and he has the worst Australian accent I've ever seen in any film, and it's just absolutely shocking. Um, but And he's hamming it up, like, turned it up to 11. Oh, it's just... There's a there was a thing that I thought maybe this is an interesting way to go. Like you get there's a scene where they first meet and you get a sort of Mallory's backstory a little bit and her kind of the abusive relationship she had in her family and it was like, Oh, this is an interesting way. But they've done it as like a sitcom and so there's like despicable things happening and then there'll be a laugh track going on and I'm like I, I don't know about this. Like it's an it, I mean it's a choice. It's a thing that they decided to do, but whether it, but I don't think it works at all. Like it's not because either it's supposed to be funny and you're supposed to go along with it, or it's supposed to say something. But I don't really know what it says about. I don't know. And the thing is, a lot of the things that I saw in people's reviews and things, they were like, "This is basically hypocrisy because they basically are satirizing like the glorification of serial killers and violence and stuff." But then this film has over the top violence and glorifies it and stuff, and it's just, yeah, that like it's just like what I was saying before. It's just not subtle at all. It just forces this thing down your throat, and you're like, I just don't even, I don't know, like it. But none of the characters are interesting. None of the characters are compelling or like relatable. I just hated all of them. Um, ah, it's just. Ugh. I just, I just, the words are hard to come by. It's so sort of weird and bad. There's one thing that that annoyed me a lot was that there was whenever they're like driving along, they'll have those like because you know when they film things, they'll put like people in a car and then have green screen all around them and then they'll like do stuff in the car and they'll like move about and things. Well, they were doing that, but it's almost like intentionally bad like you're watching this sort of studio set and they're like doing all this bouncing around and things and there's intentionally like fake like scenery and things and like things don't match up at all and it's just like why i don't understand why this is the thing and like what you're gaining by this like this is this film like a lot of the stuff that it does is like basically just going oh look at me isn't this a silly film but then like it's trying to say something, and also, isn't this a silly fun film? No, no, it's not. It's just a strange, bizarre thing. Like you take, like I think you could only enjoy this if you are high, basically. Um, it, it's just I don't know what what they were thinking. Um, I mean, it's an Oscar-winning director, and so I think it's just absolutely bizarre. Like why? apparently it started it was supposed to start off as just a not sort of like almost a generic fun sort of action romp but obviously it didn't end up being that because it's neither generic nor fun and the action in it is i don't know but it's not a romp and it's just i don't know what it is it's just it's hard to watch if you had like some sort of i don't know if you like if you had difficulty in like watching things and flashing images and whatever, you would definitely struggle to watch this. Like, oh, it's one of those films. I don't 
I guess I don't necessarily do this that often, but I got to like an hour in, but I didn't, I didn't know it was an hour in. I just paused it and was like, we're at an hour. Like I'm halfway through and I'm just like, oh, I've got another hour to go, like to endure this. And I'm like, I can't, I'm not sure I could handle this anymore. It does, towards the end, it does get a bit easier to watch. Like there's less, oh, they also put in loads of animation at some points as well. I forgot to mention that. That's another thing that they flick between every now and again. But yeah, later on, it does sort of get a little less um, kind of frenetic and whatever. But it's just, oh, it's just terrible. It's just a terrible, terrible film. Stay away from it. Don't watch it. Um, I thought the controversy shouldn't be around how violent it is. It should be about how absolutely nuts and stupid it is and how bad it is. Anyway, let's go to some facts. Um... So there's apparently 18 different film formats for this film, which is like too much. Like I said, there's animation, there's uh, black and white, there's other things. There's 18 different formats. Pick one. Pick one. Why have you got to go through 18? That's too many. That's more than a brain can take. There's also apparently over 3,000 cuts in the film, and most films have 600 to 700. What are you doing? Why is there 3,000? It's just what? It's just insane. Um, also, um, so this is a film that was written by Quentin Tarantino. I don't know whether you knew this. He sort of stayed away and he kind of like didn't want his name in the credits and things, and he kind of hated the film. But then uh, he met Johnny Cash in an elevator, and Johnny Cash said, "As you do, you just meet Johnny Cash in an elevator." But and he said uh, that. His him and his wife loved the film, and so Tarantino was then like, oh, "Okay, well, if you like it, like you're Johnny Cash, so if you like it, then maybe I should like it." Um, and I think one of the things that Tarantino was kind of hesitant about, or was like, "I don't really like this," was he thought that his script was going to kind of be rewritten and kind of messed around and butchered around. But for the, I think for the most part, if not for the whole part, the script is as it was when he he wrote it so um i think he was kind of a bit happier about that as well but speaking of uh tarantino um two tarantino regular collaborators steve buscemi and tim roth they turned down the role of wayne gale which is the one that robert downey jr played the weird australian apparently he wasn't even supposed to be australian he just went and like learn off an Australian and then he came back and he was doing an Australian accent and they were like yep yeah, let's go with it because that's what this film is that sums this film up um but apparently um Tarantino said that he wouldn't cast Steve Buscemi or Tim Roth in any of his future films if they decided to take this role so they they turned it down and that has worked well for them um but yeah I think overall don't watch this film it's unless you're high and you're in re- I just 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 don't do it don't do it at all it's the worst film i've seen for this for sure um and possibly the it's one of the worst films i've ever seen i'm putting it out there but anyway moving on to the second film of the week and that is next gen um this is about a lonely robot hating girl who is tired of the world's obsession with robots and their showy creator until she is befriended by a top-secret robot and uncovers a sinister plot. Uh, let's do some facts and figures. It came out in 2018 and had a $21 million budget. 
I'll explain more about that. I'm not. It's it's a rough guesstimate, and it made two million dollars. Um, this was a mainly a Netflix film, so those numbers won't necessarily be accurate. And it was a, I think it was made by a Chinese company, so the quoted figure was like 150 million Chinese yen or whatever it is. I don't that they have. I don't really know. Um, uh, in terms of the reviews, it's got a 6.6 on IMDb and 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. I give it a 6 out of 10. It is all right, but it's kind of generic and just lacked that little special something. Um, for those that aren't aware, this is actually a an animated film. So this is another animated film that we're watching because you gotta love them. It's it's they're good to watch. Um, but like I say, this one just kind of lacked that little special something. I don't know, like a lot. It was a lot of the things that were in there were good. Like they've got a good voice cast. They've got John Krasinski as the voice of the robot. They've got Jason Sudeikis is in this. Um, the the lead actress uh, who plays the girl is pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, like the there's a lot of kind of good voice acting in there. There's a lot of uh, the animation's really good in it. Um, the idea is great um, in terms of kind of the world of the robots and things. It's kind of a bit of a weird, scary world. It's like basically everything is a robot. Like your gates a robot, your ready meals a robot, your toothbrushes a robot, your your hairbrushes a robot. Like everything's a robot, and it's just very strange. Uh, it's a very strange world, and I think I would definitely would come to hate it as well. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, but it's interesting because they have the they still have those sort of like expo things, and people are like, I'm, I'm like almost like worshiping this guy that's like a Steve Jobs sort of type, and just going, oh my god, I love you and stuff like that. And it's it's an interesting thing, and like it's an interesting way that they go with it. Um, I think I don't know. I think the character, the main girl, was kind of. You kind of you sympathise with her, especially at the start, because she's sort of getting bullied and stuff, and she her mum's kind of more interested in her robot like butler person rather than her actual daughter and and things, and it's kind of yeah, and you do kind of appreciate like what she's going through and things like that, and but I think it, as soon as she sort of befriends this robot, I think well, it takes a little while to for them to kind of get together a little bit and kind of click um but it's almost like um yeah as soon as she realizes that this robot can kind of do a bit more than others and can kind of give her a bit more of fun and excitement um that another robot would do then she's kind of a bit more with a bit more kind of open to it but it's just a bit of a weird kind of thing like i think partly the voice of I think John Krasinski, the voice of the robot that's called 7723, I think that he, his voice isn't robot-y enough if, in a way. Like, he's very kind of human-y, human-like, which I think is partly, like, to help you kind of relate and emote with him. But I think it almost, I don't know, it almost, like, distracts from it. Like, I go back and I think about some of the, robots from like films that you like like no one's liking a three c3po people are liking that talks like a person sort of people are loving the r2d2s and the wallies of the world that are like just little like fun things like i was trying to think of like what was the difference between like this and maybe a wally and i think that's possibly kind of part of it or even like a baymax or something like they they're like lovable and they don't talk much necessarily it's more in the actions and what they do and they're almost like 
I guess they're sort of the side characters, whereas in this one, this they're like a main character. But I think they, I don't know. It's it, it like I think so. A big part of this film is sort of that her dad has either died or or gone or something, and left. And like this is this is kind of other robot is almost like a bit of a I say other robot. Her dad wasn't a robot, but this other robot is kind of a almost like a bit of a father figure in a way, but he does more learning than she does. And like, they did have some sort of kind of interesting concepts in terms of like this robot managed, it's damaged its kind of memory, memory card or whatever. And so it's, it's hard drive. So it's, um, having to kind of delete memories as it goes in order to save on space. And I think that's an interesting concept and like, but I don't know. And then it kind of, it does kind of go into this sort of bigger, wider kind of plot and uh, with like a more sort of generic, like the evil villain thing. And I think, I don't know, like the, I don't know. I think the reasoning behind it was kind of a bit boring, a bit overdone. And I think, I don't know. I think it, it had a lot of kind of good ideas, but it didn't really execute any of them well. Um, I think is the way I don't know it's really hard to kind of put my finger on what it hasn't done right because I think if you put this in the hands of like a Pixar you could almost do it take this script and do it as it is and they just shoot it a different way and it would be amazing and I, it's hard to say what 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 would make it better uh, and what would improve it but it, you just know watching it that it's definitely missing something. It doesn't hook you the whole way. I don't think any of the characters fully suck you in. Um, yeah, and I think... I don't know whether there's a bit too much flip-flopping. Like, she goes from hating robots to being like, oh, yeah, this robot's all right, sort of thing, rather than kind of... I don't know. I think... Yeah, I mean, you sort of see her use them to a certain extent or whatever, but I don't know. It's just a bit of a weird a weird kind of situation, um, and I think, but I'll tell you what, one thing that they, I absolutely loved about this film is that there's a dog in this, but the robot can understand what the dog's saying, so on no, numerous occasions you hear what the dog's saying, like, you know, when they, like, would start barking at people on the outside, or they'd, like, talk, like, you hear what they're saying, and uh, it's voiced by Michael Peña, and I think it's inspired, because it's it's just brilliant, it's very well done, um, and it just makes for it adds to kind of that character, and because I think that's one of the big things that is kind of lacking is kind of characters and compelling characters, and I think that one it does give you that sort of comic relief and stuff. So I think a lot of it is sort of like almost I don't know. I was going to say a bit too kind of serious or semi-serious, but uh, yeah, I think there's just is it the characters aren't rounded, maybe. Cause and they're kind of a bit two dimensional, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, like I'll, I'll talk about it in the facts later on. But it was, it's made for a, a low budget, twenty one million dollars, or one hundred and fifty Chinese yen or whatever it is, is a very small sort of number in terms of uh, like a big animated film like this. But um. And it's Chinese made as well, which kind of adds to maybe there's a bit of kind of things get lost in translation or whatever and uh, and things like that. So 
but I mean, overall, it is pretty pretty good, and it's probably worth a watch. But it's it's not like a one that you have to like kind of sit down and concentrate on. It's maybe one of those ones that you could just stick on in the background, and your kid will probably enjoy it. Um, but yeah, let's talk about some little little facts that I found out. Seven seven two three, the robot um, that John Krasinski voices, the kind of top secret one. He states that a weapon in his arm. Uh, is a phased plasma rifle in the 40 gigawatt range, which is actually a nod to the Terminator because the Terminator actually tries to get by that exact same weapon from a gun store in the first film, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, it's got... It's, I think that's... <laughs> I've almost ruined it with... Well, not ruined it. I've, I've spoiled a little twist in it in the fact that the robot has guns, basically. Um, and that's how she gets starts to get her enjoyment. Um, but yeah... Um, it's based on a webcomic uh, called 7723 by Wang Nima um, and I think it's a he he actually voices a talk show host in the film as well um, which I thought is a nice little touch to put that in I think it's always nice when you get, manage to get uh, kind of a creator in, in in one of these films I think it's good uh, to kind of get them involved Um and as I was saying earlier, it's made for half the budget of a typical Disney or Pixar film. And that's because it was made in a... I think that's partly because it was made in a free animation program called Blender. Um, but it was... It, it looks fine. It looks... It doesn't look like it's made... Like, it doesn't look like it's made cheaply in a way. It looks pretty good. It. I don't think it's got quite the same gloss as maybe a Pixar or a Disney film but it very it looks very serviceable and it you don't notice that it's kind of bad animation or anything it's pretty slick and it looks good so um yeah I mean I I think it's kind of gives people a kind of a bit more of a kind of I think there was a film I watched we talked about the other week that was kind of the same sort of thing like it was built in I think they shot or edited it on like Final Cut Pro that you can get on an Apple Mac or something, it just comes as as standard or whatever. And I think having films kind of made with these sort of programs kind of does give kind of hope and kind of mean to like amateur filmmakers and stuff because it means that you can use these like free programs or easy to access programs and you can still make these like great things. Like I watched a film by Steven Soderbergh a couple of years ago called Unsane and that was shot just on an iPhone. And it does look different and it doesn't look kind of as crisp and as clean as like an actual camera, but it just shows that you can actually create something kind of widely successful and that is widely released and marketed and stuff using kind of lower grade technology or uh, just kind of access technology that you've got access to. You doesn't have to be top of the range stuff, which I think is really good. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's a it's a very serviceable and very solid animated film. But it just kind of lacks that little little extra cherry on top that you might want um, that kind of puts it in the echelon of a Pixar or a or a Disney. Um, but yeah, uh, third film that I watched this week is a film called Nocturnal Animals, and um, this is about an art gallery owner who receives a manuscript by her ex husband, uh, who she hasn't seen for twenty years. Um, and on reading uh, this manuscript, it starts to kind of jog her memory about their time together and make her rethink about things. Um, it came out in 2016. Uh, it's got a $22.5 million budget and made $30 million. So it lost some money because 
I kind of have to double the production budget for marketing. Um, it's got 7.5 on IMDb, a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, so very close uh, in terms of critics and audience opinion. I myself give it an 8 out of 10. I thought it's a very hard-hitting story of a story with some interesting twists and turns. Um, so it's it kind of jumps between kind of periods of kind of her... So it's Amy Adams is kind of the the main actress in this, and she gets this manuscript, and you see like her reacting to it in her kind of present life, and then it all jump to kind of when she's thinking about her relationship with the author Jake Gyllenhaal in the past, and then it will also jump to kind of when she's reading the book, and it will have the plot of the book. So it's almost like a couple of stories in one, and um, one of kind of this woman who's kind of rethinking over a previous marriage and then this um, other story of kind of uh, what ends up being kind of a tale of revenge. Um, And I thought, I just thought it was excellent. I thought it was really, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect going in. I, I basically knew pretty much as much as I've said to you. Um, And I think it's almost a good thing that you don't know what's going on because like, you know nothing about the book that he's written, but you also know nothing about sort of their time together and their relationship. And I think having different things unfold as it goes on kind of makes you able to link the two things together um, and how it kind of is affecting her life uh, and kind of what she's thinking. And I think it's it's just really good. It's very well shot. It looks, it looks amazing. Um, it's kind of got this almost like very dark somber atmosphere but there's kind of a little bit of gloss to it it's i don't know what it is it's it's just it looks great um it yeah it just it looks really good um there's i think the the story within a story is probably the most hard-hitting thing there's kind of some tragic things that happen in it but um yeah it's kind of hard to kind of talk about it without kind of spoiling some of this stuff because but i don't i don't want to because it 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 works really well, but when you kind of think about things, you can relate them back um, in terms of kind of what happened in their marriage and kind of what kind of made things break down and and things like that. Um, and yeah, I think one of the main things of this is that kind of you find out that this uh, woman that's kind of that Amy Adams is kind of wanted to. Um, stay she she wanted originally to kind of lead a different life to what her mother is and kind of the non-materialistic and things like that and <clears throat> and kind of wanted to stay away from that kind of life but um in the end she kind of came back around to it and that's kind of wow a second marriage happened and and things like that but um yeah and he he was kind of not of that so he wasn't of like a wealthy background and things like that. And he's kind of was a struggling writer, but he's kind of wanting that, that novel. Uh, and she didn't think that he would be able to get that novel out. And this is almost like a proof that he can, um, which I think is an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's very interesting the way that Amy Adams's character kind of processes everything as it's going on. She, you, there's num- numerous times when you sort of like, it'll cut to her, because she's shocked by what's happening on the 
in the book or she starts kind of getting all emotional and kind of feeling a lot of things about maybe kind of what they were like when they were and like maybe seeing parallels um you'll notice in the film that the character the main character in the book um is also played by Jake Gyllenhaal and that's because Amy Adams is sort of kind of projecting him on into that sort of main character role apparently that um because this is this is actually based on a book which uh might be a bit confusing at this point in time so much talk about books within books but yeah this is a this is a film that has about a woman reading a book and the film was based on a book itself um yeah and in that book the original book it was actually um the the kind of the main protagonist of the story wasn't a projection of the author so it was um so yeah but i think it works in this and i think it works really well in terms of kind of helping you sort of cement the idea of how those things link together um so yeah i think it's yeah it's it's a really good film it's just really hard to, to kind of explain and talk about um it's actually directed by a guy called tom ford who um is actually a fashion designer first and foremost which i think is really interesting like you can definitely and you definitely almost like see sort of that that i don't know i was going to say eye for detail or eye for sort of making things look good and i think that's one of the reasons why it does look so good and why it's shot so well um the cinematography it's not necessarily anything special there's nothing no particularly kind of inventive shots in there or anything but i think it is just the overall look and aesthetic of it that kind of yeah, it really works, and it it I did notice think at numerous points in the film like this just looks pretty nice, um. So yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing, um, and just well worth a watch. Um, so yeah, let's but let's get into some interesting facts. Um, so Focus Features, who actually kind of produced the film, um, they actually paid twenty million dollars for the international distribution rights after a bidding war. At, can festival and this is the most that paid for a film at a festival ever so i i mean it was it was a bit disappointing that it didn't actually make more money that it only made 30 million because it's one of those because obviously critics were really kind of interested in it and when it was at the festival people were really interested in it because there was like this massive bidding war but yeah i think it's just a bit disappointing that it didn't make uh, more money really um tom ford the director at even though he's a fashion designer, he left the costume into other people, um, and none of his stuff appears in the film, which I think is really good. He didn't because he said that he didn't want it to be a commercial, which I'm in fair place with him, respect to him. I think it was definitely an opportunity for him. There's lots of moments with like nice dresses and suits and things, and I think he definitely could have put his stuff in there. I mean, I personally wouldn't have noticed, and and I personally wouldn't necessarily be bothered. I don't, I, yeah, it wouldn't bother me if you put it in there. I think it. I'd say fair play to him if he did, but I mean, I've got a lot of respect for him for not doing that. Um, and Aaron Taylor Johnson, who is in this, he plays a sort of kind of a bit of a bad guy that, uh, they, that a fam, the, the family of the, uh, protagonist in the book, uh, kind of tangles with, um, and he got a golden globe for best supporting actor, but he didn't get an Oscar nomination that year, which is very, I mean, it's very strange because obviously he's won the Golden Globe, but he's not even got a nomination for the Oscars, which is strange. But um, 
it gets weirder though because Michael Shannon, who is also in this film, who who is spectacular in this, he plays a really good role um, in the sort of in in the story within a story. Um, he actually did get a best supporting actor Oscar nom, which is very strange. Um, but apparently, it's the second time that um, the winner of the Golden Globe didn't get the Oscar nom. Um, it's the second time that it's happened in history. Um, and again, the first time that happened, a co-star got an Oscar nomination. So it's just really weird kind of coincidence and kind of turn of events. But yeah, no. Um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think overall, like, I've not really, I, I feel like I've not really talked about the film much because you can't and because, but everyone that's in this plays a really great role. The people that are playing the bad guys make you hate them and you think they're despicable. The people that you're rooting for, you really root for them. I think everyone just does an absolutely solid job and I think this film deserves more recognition really and I think it deserves it deserves to have more money. Um, definitely go out and watch it. It's very interesting. Like I say, it's a hard-hitting film. It's not a nice film. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. The, I will say that the end, at the very end, I was a bit kind of confused and like I, I did Google it. But um, if you sort of get in your mind that um it it does make sense if you if you if you think about it and if you kind of pay attention a little bit and it does ask you it does kind of require you to put two and two together but um i think the main thing if you if you kind of think about the main theme of kind of the book and and things it's all about kind of revenge and if you just kind of focus on that then it's all good Let's get on to our film that wasn't for this week, and that is the film Justice League Mortal. Um, so in February 2007, um, a script written by husband and wife duo Michelle and Kieran Mulroney, who went on to write scripts for Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows, so the second one with Robert Downey Jr. in, and Power Rangers, which I will say is a fine film. It's pretty good. It's a, it's a fun fun little romp, um, but uh, yeah, they they wrote a script and that was handed to Warner Brothers. Um, Warner Brothers are of course the parent company of DC Comics, and so all DC films are are made through Warner Brothers. Um, and this script told the tale of the formation of the Justice League, but not the origins of the characters. These characters have already been superheroing for a number of years. And they've even met each other on multiple occasions. Um, and so this meant that, in like a lot of kind of first-time superhero films, the heroes are in costume for the mass, for the mass, for the vast majority of the film. Um, Warner Brothers decided that they liked it, and they decided that they were going to get the ball rolling in June of 2007. Um, so they and they eventually got in the. So they went, at first went to a guy called Jason Reitman, who was the son of Ivan Reitman, who did the uh, Ghostbusters stuff. And Jason Reitman um, has done, has he's famous in his own right. He's done Juno and a couple of other uh, indie things. Um, but And he's also actually taken over his dad and doing the upcoming Ghostbusters reboot sequel thing. Um, so, yeah. But he decided that he wanted to stick to indie films. And so after Jason Reitman rejected warner brothers they went to australian director george miller who is probably most famous for the mad max series including the most recent one fury road 
which is excellent. You should definitely watch it. Um, as well as Happy Feet films and Babe, the Babe films, the ones with the talking pig. I'm mean, know it's a mass. It's a bit of a mix. It's a bit of a a mismatch, but it's the same guy. The same guy that did Mad Max did Happy Feet and Babe, um, and he was the one that was in charge of this film. Um, and the heroes were cast. There was a whole. Everyone was cast. Um, they were cast with very unknown actors. So I'll go through them all now. Um, so there is a guy called DJ Katrona who has been in the From Dust Till Dawn TV series, as well as G.I. Joe Retaliation. He was cast as Superman. Um, Army Hammer from The Social Network, The Lone Ranger, and The Man from Uncle, and he was actually in Nocturnal Animals. Um, he was cast as Batman. Uh, Megan Gale, uh, who was in Mad Max Fury Road, um, she was cast as Wonder Woman. Adam Brody from The O.C. Um, he was also in Ready or Not, and he got to superhero up in Shazam!, um, he was cast as the Flash, uh, the rapper Common, um, who's been in Suicide Squad two and John Wick two. Um, so it's, did I say Suicide Squad two? There wasn't a two. He's been in Suicide Squad and John Wick two. He was cast as Green Lantern. Uh, Santiago Cabrera, who's known for Merlin, uh, Heroes, Picard, The Musketeers. Um, he was cast as Aquaman. Um, and Hugh Keysburn, who is a frequent collaborator of George Miller's, having been the prime antagonist in both Mad Max, the first one, and Mad Max Fury Road, the most recent one. Um, He was set to be Martian Manhunter. Um, I don't know why I said it that way. Martian Manhunter. Um, The choice of the young actors, apart from kind of Hugh Keysburn, maybe, um, suggest that they would have been there for the long run. They would have done kind of the opposite of the MT- MCU. They would have done solo films after the big team up rather than solo films leading up to a big team up. Um, and this big team up film um, that they were doing to start off with, it starts with a hero's funeral, much like the Justice League of 2017. Uh, it then flashes back to the events of the days before. Uh, Wonder Woman is on TV addressing the United Nations as an ambassador, ambassador, arguing that world peace has been achieved and even Alfred remarks to Batman that crime in Gotham has been reduced to a nuisance. Um, Then Martian Manhunter is attacked with fire, which is his weakness. Um, And when the others arrive on the scene, they are also attacked. By technology targeting their individual weaknesses. And they're all thinking, hmm, what's going on? Um, this is a, a very similar to the story from the comics Tower of Babel. Um, or Bob, Babel? Babel. 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 I don't know how you say it. I'm going to say Babel. It's never going to come up again. That's the only time I'm saying it. So I'm going to say Babel. Um, in the Tower of Babel, it came up again. It was it didn't come up again in my notes. I just decided to say it again. Um, Batman creates some fail-safe protocols for the Justice League just in case they ever turn bad, which happened in Justice League, the new one, Superman turned bad, um, and has happened a number number of times in the comics. Um, but those plans end up in the wrong hands. In the comics, it's Ra's al Ghul. Um, you might remember Liam Neeson played him in Batman Begins. Um, but in the film that we didn't get, um, it was going to be a powerful man named Maxwell Lord. 
um, who is actually going to make his film debut in Wonder Woman 84, which should have come out by now, but it didn't, and I'm still waiting for it. Um, I, and he is actually going to be played by Pedro Pascal, um, who's from Narcos, uh, the second Kingsman film, The Kingsman, the uh, Golden Circle that's not really that good, and The Mandalorian, which is very good. Um, and he, Maxwell Lord, uh, gets these plans with the help of Talia al Ghul, who is Ra's al Ghul's daughter. And you may remember that she was in The Dark Knight Rises, the third one. Uh, third Batman Dark Knight film, played by Marion Cotillard. Um, when and she has the real that really bad death scene where she just goes Bleh, very suddenly, no good. Um, when Talia and Bruce Wayne are having one of their lovey dovey sessions as they are wanting to do, um, she actually steals the plans for Lord from Bruce then, and. Tolly was actually going to be played by an actress called Teresa Palmer, um, who has been in The Sorcerer's Apprentice and Warm Bodies and Hacksaw Ridge. Um, one of which, two of those I've seen, actually. Um, so she's not a massively well-known actor. Um, these are all, those films are all after this one would have come out, I guess. Um, so she was definitely an unknown actor at that point. Uh, Maxwell Lord, um, let's We'll do a bit of backstory on him. He actually had experiments. Well, the backstory on him in the film, anyway, was that he had experiments performed on him as a child as part of a project called OMAC. Um, I don't know what that stands for. Um, O-M-A-C. Who knows what that stands for? Um, um, let's say it stands for Ordinary Man and... Uh, ordinary Man Altering Changes project let's say it's that ordinary man altering changes uh project uh this gave him low level psychic abilities but he was also scarred for life and so he's out for revenge um he was going to be played by jay baruchel who is most famous for being hiccup in how to train your dragon but he also was in tropic thunder rangoon um and he was also in the sorcerer's apprentice along with Teresa palmer um so, even though they didn't get to work together in this one, they worked together in another film. Um, he also uh, creates some ordinary man altering changes uh, cyborgs from innocent people using a chain of restaurants and mind control and, and mind controlling them. Um, he also mind controls uh, Superman to give the League a fight. Um, and Superman actually did fight the league in the 2017 justice league so maybe that was something that they was carried over from this one but um it might not be because there's multiple times where he's been bad um so now the film would have followed the barry allen flash um he would have been the main sort of character that you that you focus on um this is kind of a a way to kind of get the audience in he's kind of is one of those characters that is is kind of the most every man of them, the the league, and he would be able to share kind of his awe of the other heroes with with us. Um, yeah, the, there's also another reason for that is because he gets a big moment at the end of the film, um, which we I will get to later on. Um, so Maxwell Lord actually produces a final 
resort when his plans inevitably fail and all his cyborgs are dealt with and Superman is no longer mind controlled. Um, and he actually goes, I've got a doomsday device uh, in me and it's going to go off. So the Flash then decides to run so fast that he merges with the speed force that he gets his power from. And it creates a black hole type void that both he and Maxwell Lord get sucked into. And this is actually reminiscent of a bit in one of the comics where um, in in the storyline Crisis on Infinite Earths, where the Flash wastes away while creating a similar sort of vortex. Um, this leads into the final scene, which is also the first scene, which is the funeral scene. Um, she found out, so it explains that the funeral was for Barry Allen, the Flash. Um, but right at the end, the Justice League continues to fight um, with another Flash, uh, Barry's nephew, Wally West, um, who is also from the comics, as all of these things are. And they battle an intergalactic supervillain uh, known as Starro the Conqueror, who is the first enemy that the Justice League took on in the comics. So in in the very back, in the very first one. Um, and if you've never heard or seen Starro, look it up. It's a big star. It's a big starfish looking creature. It's very funny. I would have loved to have seen that happen and how they would have done that in, in the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, this all sounds well and good, but it's no good on a page. You need it on the screen. Um, the production was actually fast-tracked uh, because in late 20... I was going to say 27. In late 2007 um, to early 2008, the Writers Guild of America actually went on strike. Uh, and that's how you got the writers' strike. And this meant that any and all productions were basically halted or were made to kind of resume... Uh, to, or were made to kind of muddle through uh, with the other cast and crew doing rewrites and things which is why kind of quantum of solace wasn't too good because people were writing it on set and things like that but um warner brothers decided that they would delay the production and production resumed in february 2008 after the uh strike ended uh the production was scheduled to take place in miller's native home of australia and this would have provided a 40 percent tax rebate for the studio um which was would be great for them. Um, I think it was just great all around. Um, it met, and in order to get that, they kind of needed to use Australian talent, basically, and Australian uh, folks, so they would get Australian crew and things like that. Um, but despite the director and three of the main cast, those being Megan Gale, Hugh Keysburn, and Teresa Palmer, all being Australian, as well as obviously numerous extras and crew uh, being from the local area, um, the Australian Film Commission, which is no longer a thing anymore, um, they deemed that the production didn't have enough Australian talent in it and refused to give the 40% tax rebate. And so production was uprooted and moved all the way to Canada, um, which meant that the production had to be delayed to July. Uh, July just so happened to be the month that a little-known film called The Dark Knight came out um, and as we all know The Dark Knight was groundbreaking and made a massive amount of moolah 
Um, on top of that, a sequel to the 2006 Brandon Routh fronting Superman Returns was still in the works. Um, that didn't come out, but it was still in the works at the time. Um, and Christian Bale said at the time that it'd be better if he doesn't tread on the toes of what our Batman series is doing and that it should probably come out after his and Christopher Nolan's third Batman film came out. Um, it seems that Warner Brothers agreed with that and they decided to actually just cancel everything uh, and cancel the project that was initially uh, expected to cost 200 million and then 220, then 250 million and then 300 million dollars which was absolutely unheard of probably one of the most expensive films at the time um adam brody who was supposed to play the flash uh and would have died in the end i guess um said that he said that uh warner brothers just didn't want to cross their streams with a whole bunch of batmans in the universe and all the other reasons that they for all the other reasons they didn't make it um but this is one of those films that isn't completely dead. I mean, it is like we're not getting it, but it's not. But it isn't completely dead because filmmaker Ryan Unicomb is creating a documentary titled Seven Friends: George Miller's Justice League," and that is about. And it's going to be about the production of the film, the rise and fall of it, and it's going to feature interviews with the cast and crew. It's going to have concept art and also rec- replica costumes. Uh, because the film was so far into development, there were there were there was kind of photos released of costumes and things like that, so they're going to be able to replicate them. Um, if he can't actually get hold of the real things, which they might not be able to do, um, and Unicorn has said after speaking with cast and crew on and off for the over the last five years, uh, we are confident we have a wonderful project to bring to light for all pop culture fans around the globe. It kind of feels like the world wasn't really ready for this the first time we tried to do this in 2015. Um, with everything going on in the world, now feels like the right time to look back at what many have been, what may have been, and celebrate what actually was. Um, so yeah, obviously he tried. They tried to make it a few years ago and kind of struggled, but I think it's really good that they're they're kind of making it now. I think it's an interesting thing uh, to to look at and to build on, and I think it would have been good to see what the fil- film would have actually ended up like. <clears throat> um. I think the thing that I like about this and the idea of it is it's the same tactic that I was championing for DC to do after the Avengers came out, like just go with a Justice League film and do it backwards. Just go Justice League and then build the characters up after that. Um, I think overall this film actually sounds like a better concept than the Justice League film we actually got, but Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Zack Snyder cut is coming out next year, so that might improve it. Um, but who knows if it would be as good as this one that we never got. Um, but maybe we can uh, decide after we see the documentary as well. But yeah, that's just a, an interesting one that I thought we'd look at. So we're on to the final section. This is a long one. I apologise for this. Um, actually, no, I don't. I don't apologise. I'm giving you more content. What are you on about? Anyway, uh, we're on to the final section of the show, which is Quick Fic. Um, and this is where I take uh, one of 20 characters and I put them in one of 20 different franchises and I try and make a prequel, sequel, spin-off or reboot of them. Uh, it's all off the top of the dome. Uh, it's just a little fun game uh, to do. We've had Buzz Lightyear in Indiana Jones for Predator in Star Trek. We've had John Wick in The Matrix. Let's see what we get this time. First off, we need to find out what kind of film we're making. It's a sequel. We're making a sequel 
2, Alien. We're making a sequel to the Alien films, and it's going to star Ethan Hunt from the Mission Impossible series. You know what? This will be an impossible mission, because you can't kill... Well, I mean, you can kill an alien. See, the, the problem is that I'm not completely up on my alien lore, because I... I've only seen, a, I haven't seen Aliens, which is probably the biggest kind of thing that I haven't seen. Um, but I also haven't seen Alien 3 or Alien Resurrection. I've only seen the original Alien and kind of Prometheus and Covenant. Um, so, bearing it, I do know some stuff about uh, kind of the later ones. Um, but, I mean, I, it's a sequel. So, but if it is it a see, I don't know what what to make it a sequel to. Like, obviously, I haven't seen the last one, so I can't make it a complete sequel because I don't really know what happens in the last one. But I can make it a sequel of sorts in some sort of way. Um, I think if you're making a sequel of it, I think the main thing is you get Ripley back. I think I don't know how. Didn't she, like, commit suicide in one of the films because she's, like, half alien or something? Um, or she has, like, an alien baby in her or something? Um, but she, I'm pretty sure she comes back in some way or shape or form. But you bring her back. You bring her back somehow, and there's an Ethan Hunt character. Ethan Hunt is in there. So somehow you have to get Ethan Hunt into space. I mean, the Mission Impossible series isn't far from space, if I'm honest. Um... But I think, is there an alien film where they go to Earth? Because I think that that's probably the best bet of getting Ethan Hunt into the an alien film. Um, I think, because, you know, ah, though, wouldn't it be great to see Ethan Hunt doing like a motorbike seat chase scene on a different planet with like an alien motorbike or something? Um, is Ethan Hunt going to hunt an alien or is he going to... Um, I think the main thing is that Ethan Hunt is going to go rogue. He's going to be tasked to do something, maybe capture the alien, and he's going to go rogue. And probably, wait, let's say he's going to—he's been sent to catch an alien because that seems to be the big thing of these films that they want to get the alien to use it as a weapon, but it goes wrong and things like that. So maybe he does that, but he goes rogue because he always goes rogue, doesn't he? To try and get to try and get the same sort of thing, same sort of angle, the same result almost. Um, so I think the big thing here is that he's been sent to get an alien, and Ripley is there, and he doesn't like it. Maybe he's been tasked to get her, so maybe there's um or something, because she's the only one that's really survived, sort of aliens, and knows all the ins and outs of them, so maybe it's a rescue mission, but maybe he goes rogue, and he's like, she doesn't want to be rescued, she just wants to be left alone, and that's when he goes rogue, I think that that's the thing, I think one of the things you've got to think about is, what's his hair going to look like, because his hair in these films looks great, you obviously need a bit where he's running towards camera, really fast to you if you're setting it on some sort of space station or something that would be excellent <coughs> um if you've ever played the game alien isolation boom 
something like that where you've got a load of lot of uh, kind of area to play with, a lot of things to run down. I think that would be work really well. Some little like you can get the get a little forklift truck or something in there. Um, space forklift truck that he can chase an alien with or run away from an alien with. No, or run away from an alien with. I don't know. I mean, you're not chasing an alien, are you? He he's a madman. If he's got though, Ethan Hunt is a bit of a madman. He climbed up the outside. He's going to be climbing up the outside of the space station or the ship or something, isn't he? He's going to be doing all sorts of things like that. You need some big stunts. What what kind of a stunt can he do? In space, it's kind of hard to do a stunt. Maybe he does. Maybe it is sort of close to Earth, and he has to do like um a, a maybe he has to do a massive jump, but it's like in the atmosphere, like on the edge of the atmosphere. So he's gonna plummet like he's gonna do a Baumgartner or something. Um, yeah, I mean the stunts. I'm I'm just think I'm just trying to think of stunts going rogue. Um, we're making a Missing Impossible film here, aren't we? We shouldn't be doing that. We're just putting Ethan... But you can't have Ethan Hunt not be in, be doing all these Mission Impossible things because he's just a madman. So despite what what is happening in... Despite it being an alien film, it is going to have elements of Mission Impossible because it's going to have Ethan Hunt jumping off things like a madman because that's what he does. Um, so yeah, I've realised I've not really done any plot or anything, but... I just want to see, because you know, you know what, you know that film that um, there's supposed to be a, I talked about it the other week, that Tom Cruise is doing a film in space, I'm telling you, it's the next Alien film, he's doing it, they've rewritten it, and they've gone, yeah, let's do it, and we'll get him coming to Earth, and we'll do a, a Baumgartner, and we'll jump from space, we'll do a, we'll do a skydive from space, um, or we'll do a kamikaze thing in a space shuttle, or something like that. Um, he's going to do something like that. He's going to do the the whole Star Trek thing where he jumps from one spaceship to another and kind of catapults himself and he almost breaks his neck landing on it. He's going to do something like that. And I am here for it. I will watch the hell out of that. But if you know more about Alien and you could fill in some plot details, that would be excellent. And if you could do that, then please let me know at... Uh, on Twitter at All Out Walker, or you can let me know by email, uh, fill me up at pod at outlook.com. Um, that's the same if you want to talk about any of the films that we've talked about, if you want to talk about Just as the Immortal, or even if you want to talk about anything else film related, I would love to hear from you. And if you follow me on Twitter, then you will be able to find out next week's films, um, the O films, Alpha Set O. Uh, you'll be able to find out those films next week on Monday. Um, so stay tuned for that um, but even if you don't please come back next week um, because I enjoy making these for you and I hope you enjoy listening to them uh, again thank you very much for listening um, if you can leave a, a rating or a review on your platform of choice um, a five star review would obviously be top um, it helps with sort of getting the podcast out there um, but yeah um Again, just thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for being here. I will be back next week, probably sweating my little body off. Um, and, yeah, it'll be good for me, won't it? Anyway, see you next week. Bye.